0: With Canto 26 of the Purgatory, we take another step closer to, in a way, one of the climaxes of the Purgatorio. It's Dante's encounter with the flames. I think of it almost as half haunting him, particularly since he came to the gates of Purgatory proper and had that dream and realised that for all else that he must undergo it's the transformation of his erotic desire that is going to be the crucial element above all the other elements if he is going to achieve takeoff reach eden and then ascend even more across that threshold into paradise proper he kind of knew it all along because it's been about his love for beatrice all along And in Canto 26, we get an encounter that lays out the full extent of what this transformation is really about. You might say that at the end of the day, it's about nothing less than how we can allow ourselves to be ravished by God. Remember that Lucia had carried Dante up, and how we can become cooperators of, Of God's transport of us into the heavenly realms is a key element. You might say, sort of putting it from the other way around, that erotic love is that desire which has perhaps more capacity than any other to lift us to higher places, to inspire us, even as we're inspired. Remember in the previous canto around the story of our creation and birth. There'd been a lovely climax there where God had breathed into the soul to enable the soul to become uh, capable of divine perception. Well, that inspiration and that mutual exchange um, is part of this as well. But, of course, that same erotic love is the one that can keep us most bound to earthly bodies to the flesh um, that can trap us in the desire purely for things of this world and um, how powerful is that desire um, it's the story of so many lives and if this canto begins to fully explain Dante's transformation away from his infatuation that might have kept him in a narrow constrained life it's also a story of his transformation as a poet and how he managed to find the words that coupled his romantic fascination with Beatrice to a desire for divine sight, this intelligence that can resonate and harmonize with the cosmos as a whole and so his love poetry can expand to embrace well sight of all things that is what his words as we know now can elicit in us and it all features these flames remember we've seen the flames rushing out from the side of mount purgatory on this terrace being blown upwards by this strong wind and we've already seen the souls not just in the flames but keeping themselves in the flames And I think that signifies how this transformation of our erotic love is about deepening and widening its desire. Not fighting its desire, not indulging its desire too soon, but tolerating its burning feelings, not satisfying them too soon, let alone letting them get out of control, in order to see just how far actually they can reach and they can reach a very long way indeed. The canto begins with Virgil speaking and warning Dante, take heed, take heed, he says. Immediately there's a kind of intensity at the beginning of this canto. And we're told it's about four o'clock in the afternoon, and the sun is beginning to drop down in the sky. The blue of the light is changing towards the end of the day. And that means they've been climbing up to this terrace for about two hours, climbing, talking, discussing, um, preparing themselves, you might say, for what is going to meet them when they reach this terrace. Quite a long time, um, given the amount of time they spend in Mount Purgatory. And now that they're on the terrace, some of the souls have noticed that Dante's shadow falls across the flames and deepens the red of the flames. And Dante, the poet, describes how they strained to look towards Dante to see what this might be about, whilst carefully keeping themselves in the flames. They're working on their erotic desire. A new thing has appeared before them. It gains their fascination. Um, It's a living body, um, and of course living bodies on this terrace, more than any other terrace, have this particular capacity to charge erotic desires Um, but they're wanting to see the deeper significance of this living body that's appeared amongst them. We learned in the myth of the previous canto quite why bodies have this allure because they are a meeting point of earth and heaven as the natural formative powers create our bodies so the divine power reaches down Um, and produces this wonderful thing that is the human living body. But it must be a springboard, not a goal, an end in itself. And one of the souls speaks up, and he remarks that he can see how Dante looks to be walking reverently behind Virgil and Statius. I wonder if this is a kind of first hint at how eros eros when it's transformed starts to see deeper things um this soul is wondering about the meaning of dante walking behind virgil and statius he doesn't know who they are but yet his love is now trying to see into this deeper intelligence this deeper meaning of life as it walks around us because they're not just mechanical bodies their living bodies and their souls who carry some echo reflection of divine meaning, and this soul is looking to have that perception, to see with those intelligent eyes. And Dante says he wanted to satisfy this soul's love for meaning and insight. but his own sight was caught by a quite extraordinary thing that happened that they saw another group of souls approaching through the flames they were in an orderly file and they separated around the souls in front of them and as each soul passed another they kissed each other and then moved on Dante says they kissed like ants greet each other and I think this is a sign of their focus Um, it is an erotic act it's one that has moved on from the desire to possess and is learning about a second feature of Eros expanded which is deeply desiring and wishing the other well and that's what these souls sharing the fire now offer each other a kind of comfort and consolation Um, some of the energy of their own passion they share in this beautiful kiss it's very striking that these souls are moving with this kind of focus and with this orderliness because it contrasts very much with the souls caught up by love in the inferno remember francesca and paolo particularly who swirled around in whirlwinds of their own lust swept along by it rather than learning to control and run with it and that is an indication of what we're beginning to see here um, of Eros transformed. We're also told that as these souls pass each other, the one who had approached shout out Sodom Gomorrah, and the other group shout out Pasiphae. Now, Pasiphae was the queen of Crete, whose lust so consumed her that she had a wooden cow made, which she could fasten herself into and be mounted by a bull and her son was the minotaur um, that went into the labyrinth of Crete. So these are exclamations. Well, the traditional interpretation, which many of the commentators will explain, is that one group are homosexual sinners, whereas the other group are heterosexual sinners. But I think it's not quite so neat and tidy as that, partly because in the medieval period, The distinction between homosexual and heterosexual, as we think of it, wasn't at all established. Um, Homosexual could refer to all sorts of sexual acts that, as it were, straight people, as we would now call it, might indulge in as well. I think, although it does signal that Dante is saying that homosexual acts, if they didn't actually think of people being homosexual homosexual acts are no automatic bar to heaven remember they're on this terrace of purgatory preparing themselves for heaven um, which is quite remarkable in itself Um, but i think that what the reason why dante can say that is because he realizes that the problem with eros is not the form it takes but it's the spirit of the eros that counts is it going to lead you charging off in all directions being swirled around in its energies, or are you going to be able to gain the sight, the capacity to ride its energy heavenward? And that's what all these souls on this terrace, regardless of what they'd actually indulged in in life, are working for. I think this interpretation is underlined by the metaphor that Dante then uses, because he says that the soul separated a bit like migrating cranes, one group of which fly south and the other group of which fly north. And the point about this metaphor is it's artificial. You know, Birds do not migrate, one group going in one direction, one going in the other. They all go in the same direction. But I think what he's saying is that these two groups represent two sides of the same coin. Um, and that coin is the one that flips us through life. Um, with its lust and love, unless we work on reforming it. So Dante turns back now to the first group of souls um, that they'd um, encountered, the one including the soul that had spoken to them. And he notices that their phases glow as he turns back to them. Um, he refers to his ripe and green body, the living body that they have spotted. Um, you know, quite an erotic Um, description of his own living body um, suiting the moment um, which they're all working with and he explains that the reason why he's here as a living body is that he has received grace from heaven by a lady by Beatrice and this is a hugely significant sort of self-confession for Dante because he is now saying that he can see how the love that awoke in him when he saw Beatrice in life actually carries a far deeper meaning, the potential for a far greater inspiration, which is that Beatrice's significance is that she's heaven sent. And if he can follow that love, then he will be transported to heaven by her grace, by her beauty, which ultimately is actually a heavenly grace and heavenly beauty. So this, in a way, is a third feature of an expanded Eros that has the intelligence, stroke, perception, sight to see that ultimately it leads to heaven. And Dante finishes off his remarks wishing them a speedy ascent, wishing them heaven's spaciousness, as he puts it. And I think this is a fourth feature of an expanded Eros, that actually it grows, it becomes more capacious. opens into wider and wider horizons, rather than just getting stuck on its narrow obsession, which often happens when it first awakens in us. They are totally amazed at this description, I think partly as a result of the miracle of this living body, if you like, but I think they must also see some of its deeper significance, because it's going to turn out that there's quite a lot of poets in these flames as well. And so they're astonished at how Dante has this sight, has this perception. He gained it even whilst he was living, and because they struggled to and are only beginning to see it now. But they see it now with a kind of fresh newness. Dante the poet says they're like rustics coming down from the mountains, amazed at the sight of civilization. Um, and there's something rather charming about that, these sophisticated poets seeing things as if with new eyes, which is another thing that an expanded Eros can bring to us. The one who spoke, who hasn't yet revealed his name, he coins a beatitude and part of this spontaneous improvisational new quality of these higher reaches of purgatory, not just having to stick to the old formularies. And he says to Dante, blessed are you who can ship the experience of this place back to life on Earth. This, I think, is another feature of a kind of expanded Eros, which reaches back at least to Plato, because Plato had realised, via his encounter with Socrates, that the philosopher makes dying their care, their love, their passion in life. And what he meant by that, I think, is seeing that the life we think we understand around us can dissolve, can can die, can disappear, to reveal ever more life, ever newer life, um, an ever expanded sense of life, which is why when Socrates died, he was confident that he was going to be embraced by this life which had been carrying him through his earthly life all along. He could see it. So this beatitude um, echoes that for us, if you like. Um, That is another feature of this expanded eros, and then it can give up what it holds on to, what it clings to, um, what we think of as our life, because it trusts that there's more life that's holding us. Um, That can happen almost moment by moment, day by day, as we, well, a modern way of putting it perhaps would be be to sort of let go of the ego. Um, But I'm always a bit cautious of that phrase because I think we are Invited to remain completely conscious of what's going on, not as it were to dissolve into um, a kind of white miasma, um, but to consciously step into this wider life even as we offer ourselves to it, um, because that life has been passionately holding us and carrying us all along and would transport us into more and more life. The philosopher's goal the soul who speaks then explains something about these two groups. Again, I think not in completely neat categorical ways. Um, It's the spirit of Eros that matters rather than its forms. But he says that the group that approached are like Caesar's. Um, There's the old story that Caesar in his youth, when he was beautiful and statuesque, had used his allure to get his way with a king. He, would as it were, Um, prostituted himself you might say Um, the Sodom reference is given again um, you know remembering that in the story it's actually um, the abuse of the angelic visitors that have been um, the crime described Um, and then he also says that um, those in his group are the followers of the queen or have been the followers of the queen of Crete because they followed their chaotic bestial desires in life and that's what they're. Performing here now, Dante asks whether this soul might name some of them in the flames. His interest is piqued in them as much as theirs is in him, and the soul replies, "Look, there's a lot of them here. We haven't really got the time, but he does fess up who he is, and he is Guido Guinizelli. Now, Guinizelli was a poet um, before Dante, um, but Dante here in the canto." recognises Guinezzelli as one of his poetic fathers. And there's the most amazing now moment between the two of them, because Dante falls silent. He stares at this soul. He becomes speechless. His poetic words fail him. And it's really interesting to ask why. Uh, Dante the poet doesn't tell us, but I think what he is doing, what Dante is doing, is allowing a moment for himself to be transformed you know he's seen his poetic father it's in this kind of moment of erotic frisson and charge Um, he sees him in the flames but fears to follow him into the flames this is eros untransformed at least in this moment or Gaining sight of what it's going to take to transform itself and feeling that fear, um, it holds back. It can't reach out and embrace that which it loves, that which it wants to greet and be alongside. And that, in a way, is the meaning of this moment where Dante doesn't rush to greet um, his father in poetry. He doesn't, he isn't able, at least for now, to follow him. Um, this moment lingers and lasts and then Dante says that his eyes were satisfied you know maybe it's in this moment he begins to realize that that is the path he is going to have to follow even if not quite at this moment but he does say to Guinizelli, you know let me serve you uh, what can I do for you um, he wants to sacrifice something of his own journey for the benefit of Guinezelli and that is another element of Eros transformed that it wishes well for others wants to do things for others not just be obsessed in its own desire caught up in its own possessive goals. Guinezelli responds again and says that he's deeply moved by what Dante has just said I think referring to Dante's recognition that Beatrice wasn't an earthly lover so much as a heaven-sent delight and beauty to carry him right through life into the next life. Um, He has struggled with this himself, and the commentators note that Guinezelli had tried to bring together in his own poetry um, erotic love and this perceptual intelligence um, so that the love can really take off um, and carry people heavenward and he now calls Dante a brother. He's not the father of Dante anymore. They're conspirators together, breathing in this heavenly air in their struggles to align their poetry, their words, their sight, their love, to speak of the truth of it all. Um, Guinicelli says that they didn't just go for fame. They longed to speak the truth. And they name some of the other poets that are there who are also in this kind of band of truth-seekers through the power of love and sight. And Guinizelli requests a paternoster from Dante. He says, when you get to heaven, please say, lead us not into temptation, the appropriate line from the Our Father. Um, Note that Guinizelli is asking for a prayer in heaven, not a prayer back on earth, as previous souls had done. Um, his eyes are fixed now on heaven. Um, he's, as it were, leaving those earthy things behind. And then Gwinizelli says that he will show now Dante another poet, um, a poet called Arno Daniel. Um, he was well known for his very difficult and obscure poetry. Um, but I think the significance of this now is that Arno steps forward, even as Gwinizelli steps back into the flames and speaks actually in quite clear, simple verse, which, incidentally, is not his own verse. It's verse that Dante, the poet, has made for him. And these lines in um, Provencal, rather than Italian, um, they speak of the joy of love, how it can lift you higher. It's simply put, transparently put, it's put in an undefended way. You might say that Arno no longer has to conceal the tortuous nature Of his struggle with Eros in tortuous verse. He can speak in a completely undefended way and maybe that is a final transformation that this canto notes of what Eros transformed enables you to do. You can be transparent to life. Life can flow through you. You can run with its delights and joys. You can follow its beauties because you know that you have aligned your will with the divine will and can reach into its spaciousness. Um, Glad to be there with others. All these qualities of an expanded Eros that Canto 26 has been moving through in Dante's encounter with the souls in the flames. But he hasn't yet stepped into the flames himself. And we're left wondering, is he going to be able to embrace this crucial step of the erotic journey he knows that Beatrice is signaling heaven to him not just earthly lust but is he going to be brave enough to follow it